Good evening. If you take your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter number 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verse, um, excuse me, chapter 4. I'll get the right one. Chapter 4. Verse (laughs) 6. You got me all excited. I might get in trouble tonight. I don't know. We'll see how we go. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Now I want you to turn over to chapter 6. And we'll be reading verses 14 and 15. Excuse me, 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul. In 52, uh, 50 and 2 days, it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Work, that dirty four-letter word, right? Seems like not a lot of people uh, want to do a lot of work, and tonight I'm not going to talk about work. You say, well, what are we going to talk about? Sometimes it's easier to define something by its negative or its opposite. And so I've entitled the message tonight, The People Had a Mind to Sleep. I've already seen some yawns tonight, so we'll see how we go. We'll see whether you stay awake for the message first off and uh, whether you glean anything from it. And to do so, I want us to turn back to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. We'll primarily be in chapters 18 and 19 tonight. I'm not going to preach all of the chapter. This is my notes. Okay? That's my notes for tonight. So we'll only be an hour or something. No, hopefully not an hour, but uh, anyway. (laughs) What does it mean when we sleep instead of work? Uh, What impact does that have? Uh, We're going to find out tonight, based on the life of Lot, uh, that he fell asleep. When he should have been awake, should have been alert, should have been working, and yet he was sleeping. We're going to see what impact it had on his life. And we want to begin in verse 18, uh, chapter 18, rather, and verse number 20. And you're well away where the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, but here in chapter 18, verse 20, says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah was great, is great, and because their sin is very grievous. 
drop down to verse number 23. And Abraham drew near, said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, we normally would think of the wicked as being asleep, particularly spiritually speaking. And the righteous, we would normally acquaint with God's people. Uh, we are righteous in Him, but sometimes we don't act very righteous. Sometimes we fall asleep instead, and we allow things around us that shouldn't be around us. Now, I want to before I give you the first point, actually, I want to, I want to read all these scriptures, and we'll see if you can figure it out. Uh, chapter 19 and verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot uh, sat at the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, uh, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Verse 3. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and made them, he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Verse 5, and they, these are the men of the city who gathered around the house, actually surrounded the house, uh, from verse 4, verse 5, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where, where are the men that came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now that expression, know them, has nothing to do with knowledge about them. It has a sexual connotation, and that's as far as I'll go with it. But these men wanted to know them in that way. Uh, <clears throat> verse number uh, 7. And Lot said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, uh, I have two daughters which have not known, known man. Let me, I pray thee, bring them out unto you, and do to them as uh, is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under my, uh, the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And, and they uh, said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs uh, be a judge. Now will we uh, deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Down in verse number 13. For we will des destroy this place. And this is the, the men that came who were angels. Uh, they said, uh, verse 12 said, you know, get out of here. Uh, verse 13, we pick it up. For, for we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is waxing great in the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out, spake unto the son, his sons-in-law, which married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. My first point in this message is that those that have a mind to sleep 
are relatively undisturbed by the promiscuous living around them. I think you would agree with me that we're living in a promiscuous society. Uh, no matter which way you turn, you are faced with sin. You are faced with wickedness. You are, you are, are faced with vile behavior. And so it's no different than in the days of Lot. He was faced with that every day. And yet, he seemingly was undisturbed. Now, before you get too excited, let's turn to 2 Peter, because 2 Peter tells us a little bit about his attitude toward these people. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Peter says, and delivered just Lot, just, he's righteous, okay? He's a believer in God, and uh, he's, he's trusted uh, in what he has done. And it says that just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation or manner of living of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So he was vexed, and the word vexed is actually two different Greek words in these two verses. The first one means he was worn down by their daily bombardment and pressure of their filthy conversation and the way they lived their lives, and he was worn down by that day by day. The second one, verse 8, means to be tormented or tortured in his heart, in his soul. His inner being uh, waged, uh, waged war, so to speak, uh, against that. And yet, Lot never spoke up. In spite of the attitude within his own heart, the, the crying and, of, his, of his soul, because of the condition of those around him, and yet he never spoke up. How do I know that? Because when he went to his sons-in-law, they just, what are you talking about? Get out of here. We don't want to hear you. All right? Because he had never spoken to them before. He had never warned them of the wickedness of the, of the land of Sodom. And, and so uh, he, he's... He just, he really never spoke out against that behavior. And I wonder this, this evening, the vileness that's around us, do we speak out? Do we warn them of their wickedness? Do we seek to correct them? Now, obviously, the only correction they're going to have immediately is to come to the Lord in salvation. That's where it's going to start. But do we say anything, or have we had a mind to sleep? Have we allowed that vileness around us to put us to sleep? That, that no more do those things bother us 
Well, I, I don't do that. Lot didn't do it either. But it caused endless trouble for him and his family, as we'll see as we proceed. But a person whose mind is asleep, who's not out there actively engaged working for the Lord to warn people of what's ahead, they're undisturbed by the promiscuous living around them. On verse eight, on 17 and uh, 16 and 7, excuse me, yeah, 16 and 17 of ch chapter 19 of Genesis. We read these words. He's on his way out, reluctantly on his way out. And in verse 16, and while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. It came to pass uh, when they had brought, him, uh, brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Uh, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Now it's a good thing there were two of these men that came. They each had two hands because there were four people that weren't wanting to leave. And they grabbed a hold of them and they forced them to leave. Verse 26. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Down in verse number 30. And Lot went out uh, of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave and his two daughters. Down to verse number 33. And they, his two daughters, made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in, lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Verse number 37. Excuse me, number 35, verse 35. And they made their father drink wine also that night. And the younger arose, lay with him. He perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Verse 37. The firstborn bare a son, called his name Moaz, Moab, and uh, the same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger, she also bare a son, called his name Ben Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Those who are asleep in their mind are unaware of the perilous outcomes that proceed from their sleep. What we saw is some perilous things happening. I mean, they escaped by the skin of their teeth, so to speak. And the angel said, get out of here, go to the mountain. We didn't read it, but Lot said, oh, look, you know, what about this place here? It's just a little city. How about if we just dwell here? Okay. And uh, 
they dwelt there for a while. But at the end of the day, he lost his wife. She was turned into a memorial. A statue. I wonder if if she was in the United States, if somebody would tear her statue down <laughs> uh, like they're doing uh, today. But he lost his wife. He lost his two daughters because he had fallen asleep. His mind was at rest, and he would not warn them. Plus the fact that his two daughters, we've already read the verses that talk about what he wanted to, to offer to the men of the city, right? Well, maybe they overheard that. Don't know. Well, I mean, he's not too concerned about us, so why should we care about him? And so they end up having children by their father. Great wickedness in God's eyes. And in fact, the Moabites and the Ammonites are still the enemies of Israel today. If you look on a map, Moab and Ammon are both in Jordan, modern-day Jordan, just on the other side of the Dead Sea. And they both can't stand the Israelites. And so a person who is mindful of sleep does not look far enough ahead and say, what is going to happen down the road if I sleep now? I hope I'm not speaking to anyone here tonight who has a mind to sleep and is unaware of what's ahead for them because of it. The devastation that will engulf the person who, who has a mind to sleep and not a mind to work. A mind that works, he looks ahead. He thinks ahead. What, if, if I'm doing this today, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? What's going to happen a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? He's always looking out for what's going to happen because of what he's doing right now. But a person who has mind to sleep, he don't care. And I just, I can't be bothered. And he just falls asleep, going through the motions of life, unaware of the perilous outcomes ahead. Many a family has been wrecked. Because the parents have had a mind to sleep in rearing their children. It's sad, but it's true. And you, you, you end up having to, to manage because oftentimes those outcomes are not correctable. And, and so you just kind of manage with it because of the failure. Well, thirdly, and I'll tell you what this one is before I read the scriptures, not only is a person with a mind to sleep undisturbed by promiscuous living, not only is he unaware of perilous outcomes, but he's unavailing of potential victory unavailing of potential 
victory. Chapter 18, once again. Begin reading in verse 17 again. And it came to pass when they brought them forth abroad uh, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And that is a true statement. <laughs> At least he realized that. Uh, <clears throat> and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Uh, why was he worried about that? Why was he worried about dying? Did you ever think about that? He was just rescued from death. It could have been burn alive, and he's worried about dying. Okay, God's not going to rescue you and then let you die. But this, is, this was his attitude. Lest some evil take me and I die. So the escape, according to the angel, was in the mountain. And he said, no, I don't think I have to do that. Because if I go to the mountain, some evil is going to take me and I'm going to die. So in other words, he argued with the Lord, right? Chapter uh, 18, verses 24 and following. And I'm going to kind of, kind of go into this. Actually, I read chapter 19, didn't I? Maybe I ought to read chapter 18, verses 17. Uh, okay, 18, verse 17 and following. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham... Uh, shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know that, uh, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And so we have Abraham is concerned about Lot, and... Uh, God's going to destroy him with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stands in his, in his stead and he's, he's, he says, Lord, you know, he's pleading for his nephew. And uh, in verse 23, he says, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so he pleads for him. He says, Lord, what if there's 50 righteous? Surely my nephew has warned them. Fifty. Just fifty, Lord. Lord says, okay, fifty. You got it. And then he gets to thinking, well, what if he didn't? Lord, what, what, what if there's forty-five? Okay, for forty-five I'll spare the city. Uh, Lord, what about forty? Lord, what about 30? Or what about 20? Lord, what about 10? 10. Okay, he's got two daughters. 
that are married to his sons-in-laws, at least two. So that's four. He's got two unmarried daughters. There's him and his wife. Okay, and if we assume that there's another married, okay, so that, that would make ten. His own family. His own family. Lord, if his, if his own family are righteous, would you spare the city? And God said, I would. And we found out that his sons-in-law couldn't be bothered listening to him because he had never approached them before that time. And here is is Lot, he's at the city gate. That's where all of the business was conducted, was the city gate. And he never talked about the Lord. He never warned these people of where they were at. And so he, he gets caught up in all of that. And let's continue on from in chapter 19 with verses 20 and 21. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto. It's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Uh, Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. And you'll say, Okay. I won't, I, I won't destroy this city and I won't, uh, I won't go any further to have your life touched if you stay in that city. It was the city of Zoar. I won't bring fire and brimstone like I will on Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse number 30, says, And Lot went up out of Zoar. Wait a minute. I thought the angel said, I'll protect you in Zoar. Your safety is in that city. Why is he moving on? The victory was in his grasp, and he rejected the Lord. Why? Because he had a mind to sleep. He wanted to dictate to God what his life would be. I'm sure you don't have any moments like that. But Lot did. And he dwelt in the mountain, and that's when his daughters got involved with him and sinned, that grievous sin, and ended up having the children, the enemies of the people of Israel. Now, he had opportunity. He had plenty of opportunity to have victory. And had he been laboring and working the way he should have and listening to the Lord, he would have succeeded. He would have gained the victory. But because he was unavailing of that potential victory that was set before him, he missed that opportunity and he ended up in tragedy. We face temptations, do we not? And it seems to me like the Apostle Paul says someplace uh, in his writings that it's within the temptation that God makes the way of escape. 
God gives the potential for victory over those temptations. It is a temptation to sleep. You say, well, we all need sleep. It's true, we do. But we don't need to sleep all day long. There's a time to sleep, there's a time to work. We need to distinguish the two, and we need to take advantage of the time to work so that we, at the end of the day, when all of those things come against us, we can have victory. Victory over that sleep, over that laziness. I want to bring one more point before we close, and it's not found in these passages, but you're familiar with these verses. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us. That includes Lot. A righteous man, vexed in his spirit, but unwilling to go out and to labor for the Lord. We all have to give an account of ourselves to God. Second Corinthians, you probably know where I'm headed, chapter 5. And verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath uh, done, whether it be good or bad. So this expands a bit more on the accountability that we have before God. We need to give an answer at the bema of Christ for what we've done. Not what we did before we were saved. All that sin is under the blood. What did we do afterwards? Did we win the war? Did we engage ourselves in the work? Or did we fall asleep our entire life and accomplished absolutely nothing for the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul here is talking about the Lord's table. And he's talking about self-examination. And in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 11, we read, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The point I'm trying to make here is that a person who has a mind to sleep is unprepared for personal evaluation. We call that introspection. Examining where am I? Am I a person who has a mind to sleep? Or am I, contrary to that, a person who has a mind to work? Where am I? And we need to constantly have this personal evaluation. We're really good at evaluating everybody else. 
but we have a really difficult time evaluating me. But you know what? I'm never going to be called upon to answer for everybody else. But I am going to have to give an answer for this dude right here. I'm going to have to give an account of whether I engaged in the work because I had a mind to work or whether I had a mind to sleep and I didn't really care. One way or another, we're going to have to give an answer. That's the good and the bad. So, a person who has a mind to sleep has a love for self. He's only interested in the ease of his own life. He's not concerned about others. A person, on the other hand, who has a mind to work has a love for God. And I say that specifically without saying a love for others because a love for God is a love for others. To say that I have a love for God and I could care less about others is an oxymoron. Doesn't add up. So, do we love ourselves? Having a mind to sleep? Or do we love God, having a mind to work? Lot had a mind to sleep. Nehemiah had a mind to work. Lot had a mind to sleep, and he lost the things that were most precious to him. Nehemiah had a love for God, and he accomplished the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. Pastors been to Jerusalem. Others have been to Jerusalem. It's not a tiny city. 52 days without all of the modern machinery we have today. That's a mind to work. The challenge is, do we have the mind to work? God has left us here. He's He's given us every means available to carry out the ministry that he's left us here for. And yet, oftentimes we seem to be more consumed with things that help me. Things that benefit me. Things that make my life easier. Instead of saying, Lord, I love you, and because I love you, I understand your message, and I'm going to go and reach people. Which mind do you have tonight? I hope you can say that you have a mind to work like Nehemiah did so that you can accomplish something, and at that day of accountability... There'd be a great victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this example. Though it's a devastating example in Lot, a righteous man, a man who knew God, but yet held it within him, his, himself, who did not proclaim 
the warnings and as well as the hope that was possible who lost everything because he had a mind to sleep. Lord, help us to be Nehemiahs with a mind to work, to accomplish great things for our Lord. Soften our hearts. Move among us, we pray, that we may be faithful to thee as we sang about. They're not just words on a page. They should be within our heart, and it should produce fruit out of our life. So help us, Father. Give us a mind to work. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.